You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. And now we're going to look at our response to that revelation. We've been looking at all of these attributes. What's this going to do for us? Well, let's start here. In Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse number 17, we read this last week, but I want to highlight it again, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Here it is. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now note that. By faith. What's faith? Faith is the knowledge of God. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. You think this is important? Absolutely. He says you're rooted in this. You are grounded in this. If you don't get this, then you don't get the rest of God. You can't go forward. And then he says, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. He's talking about the expanse. Amen. And to know, everybody say no. Know the love of God. I'm not guessing here, folks. <laughs> I'm not hoping here. I know. You can know the love of God. Folks, when I give my life to God, I'm not playing the lottery. All right? I'm not going out there saying, man, I hope God calls my number. No, he's already got my number. <laughs> I think it was Dan Dean wrote the song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You say, well, maybe that was poetic license. How could he have us all on his mind at the same time? Well, I tell you how. Because he's an omniscient God. <laughs> and he knows everything. And he's an omnipresent God. He's present in the past, in the present, and he's present in the future. Amen. And so he knew all of us. And when he went to the cross, he didn't just go to the cross for Abraham. He didn't just go to the cross for a few. He went to the cross for each and every one of us. I'm not playing the lottery, folks. I know the love of God is not just to you and not just to that person, not just to that person, but it's to me, little old me. And to know the love of God, which passeth knowledge. Now, here's an awesome thing. I know God loves me, but it's even bigger. It's beyond my ability to know the extent of his knowledge. It's beyond my ability to comprehend. Now, think about it in this way. Not only, I can't comprehend his omnipresence and his eternity. I, I can try to understand it. We tried to unpack that in this study, but I can't comprehend it. The same way I cannot comprehend his eternality. No beginning, no ending. That just blows my mind. His love is just as vast and just as great as that. It's beyond knowledge. That's what he's saying here. And then he says this, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. The love that Christ shed upon us, that you might be filled, that you may know the love of God, and that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That God's love can be in you. You know how you know you've reached that part where, hey, the love of God is in me or, or, or God is in me is when the love of God, not the love of man, not the love of humanity, but when the love of God is inside of you. This is why Jesus said this. This is how you'll know all men are my disciples, that they have love 
one for another. Now, he could have said anything. He could have said that they preach great. (laughs) Or that they sing great. Or that they cast out demons. Amen? Or that they do miracles. But he didn't. He said that you have love one for another. So the love of God inside of us, truly working inside of us, is number one, the fruit of the Spirit. But it is when the fullness of God is in us. It comes down and abides inside of us. So we're going to look at this because he already said that, hey, man's love only goes as far as dying for somebody that's honorable. Man doesn't die for somebody that's dishonorable. So let's look at this. Let's look at this with this concept of love. And we'll expound here. So I want to look at the results of revelation. So the love that derives itself from God is in itself an end. It is an end of itself. Why does God love? It's because who he is. He just loves. It's not an emotion. God doesn't wake up in the morning. Number one, he doesn't wake up in the morning because he doesn't go to bed at night. There is no night in eternity. There is no morning. So he doesn't wake up because he never sleeps. And he's never in morning. We are in the morning and the evening, but God isn't. He's above that. He transcends that. But God, let's just say for the analogy, he doesn't wake up in the morning and say, well, I don't feel like loving. He cannot do that because love is who he is. And he doesn't love us just so that we would love him back. Knowing in his omniscience... (laughs) that we don't love him does not cease for him to, amen, still love us. Does that make sense? God knows, by the way, when you don't love him. But he still loves you because it's who he is. It's the end and of itself. So this is who he is. So when we have the fullness of God in us, then we should also love, not in our humanity, but we should also love because it becomes who we are. And this, folks, is the beautiful thing. This is the beautiful thing about the body of Christ and about the church. This is the crowning moment, character, if you will, of the church. He said it. You'll know that they're my disciples because they have love one for another. So Christ Set this as the crowning thing. So when I get to the place where the Spirit of God is inside of me, there's going to be a response to this revelation. So there's four things that I want to show you tonight. Four responses to revelations that we to revelation to the revelation that we want to look at. Number one, this is the first one. Number one, the first response is this: We love God. He loves us first. He is the motivator, if you will. So our response is that we love God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Amen. Or with all your strength. So you love God. That's the response. Amen. We cannot love God from any other point but responding love. Go to Deuteronomy 6 and 5. And I, I, I skipped that. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, here it is, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. So we cannot love God from any other point from but responding love. He loved us first. So I can't say, 
I'm going to love God first. I can't do that because he's already beat me to it. He, he, he loved me before he, he ever even thought of me. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He already had that love established. He already had that in play. That was already going to be a done deal. Amen. So we love God. We cannot love God from any other point but responding love. Amen. Even if I love him for who he is, instead of what he's done for me, it's still a position and a posture of responding love because I'm then responding to who he is. I'm loving him because he is. So there's no other way. So anytime I love God, I'm, I'm responding back to the love of God. And when you truly know the greatness of the love of God, if we would be honest with ourselves, there's not one person in here, amen, that does not think of yourself and know yourself as having flaws, as having shortcomings, as having great things that you need God in your life. If we'll be honest with ourselves. I, I used to talk about this uh, when people would have problems with theological questions and they'd have issues accepting God's plan of salvation, this question would often be posed to somebody in the church, out of the church, new in the church. And, and, I, and I've often had this conversation teaching somebody a Bible study and we're teaching them about repentance and baptism and infilling of the Holy Ghost. And they'll say, well, well does that mean then that this person is not saved if they don't follow in obedience to the word of God. And I'll say, well, you have to, you have to let scripture stand on its own. I, I, I am not the one making the final judgment. I, I don't know their life. I don't know their heart. I can't put them in heaven. I can't put them in hell. God does that. Amen. But what I do know is I can look at his word and what he says. And then people say, well, I have a hard time believing that this person is not saved because they're such a good person. You ever heard that? They're such a good person. I'd like to point out one thing about that scenario. Whenever somebody brings up the good person argument, by the way, Jesus said this, when, when the man came to him and said, hey, hey, good master, good Lord, huh, that man did, wasn't acknowledging who he was. He wasn't seeing him as God manifest in the flesh. He was coming trying to flatter him and trying to get on his good side. And so Christ responds and says, who are you calling good? There's none good but God. There's not one of us. The greatest among us, he said. Solomon, the, John the Baptist, none of them even compare to the lily of the field. Amen, that God created. There's none good but God. So don't call anyone good but God. So whenever that good argument comes up, I always notice this, that whenever we bring up the good argument, it's always somebody else that's good. You ever catch that? Because we don't know. We don't get inside of the mind and the heart of somebody else. Nobody ever says, well, I'm a good person. God ought to just accept me as I am. Nobody that is that's being honest about this. Because everybody knows deep down in the heart, no, there's some things that God, I, I, I need grace for. I need help for. I need you to work out inside of my life. Amen. So when we, amen. So when we come to God, amen, we love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, 
all of our soul. And I've got to give everything to the Lord. If I, amen, don't respond to God's love in this way, there's only two options. Well, number one, it's either out of my utter selfishness that I don't love God. How selfish can I be for God to love me so much that even in my iniquity and in my sin, I am still enjoying the breath of life every living moment that I did not fashion, but that God gave to me freely. Even in the midst of my transgression, I enjoy the same sun, the same rain, the same shadows, amen, in my life that everybody else loves. That is the love of God in my life. And I have to find myself in a place of utter selfishness that says, I don't want God's love in my life. I'm too concerned about my own self. That is the epitome of self-worship. And that in itself is an idolatrous practice when you've exalted self above God, which is what happened in the garden. Or I am in absolute rebellion against God because I'm defiant against the ways of God. I've seen him and I reject him. I'm in rebellion against God. And folks, that is a demonic position. Samuel said this, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That in your rebellion, you refuse God and reject God and you enter in it as the sin of witchcraft. What's witchcraft? Witchcraft is entertaining and seeking after demonic spirits that are exactly in defiance of God. So we say, well, we don't see demonic people anymore. Oh, can I tell you, there's a whole lot of demonic people walking around every day. They're rejecting God. They're refusing God. Just because they're not frothing at the mouth and just because they're not writhing on the floor does not mean that they're not entering into that place. God killed Saul, the first king of Israel. Why? Because he sought to the witch of Endor rather than to inquire of God. Wow, what a powerful thing. So our response, how would we not respond with love towards God? Do you not love somebody when they're kind to you, when they're nice to you? Is that not a natural inclination when God loves us? Amen. And so he, he challenges us to love God with all your heart. With God died for me while I was worth nothing. How can I not respond to him? Amen. In total, absolute, and complete love. Now here's an interesting thing. If I refuse him eternally, if I reject God in rebellion eternally, there's some scenarios in Scripture that teach me this, so that I am without hope, okay? And right now I love him because he is, and I love him because of what he's done for me, and because he is, I am, amen, and because he is, I have a hope, amen, all of that is shattered, all that fear, all that worry because of the love of God. Amen. But if I in my utter selfishness and in my rebellion reject God and refuse God and all of his kindness and gracious mercies extended towards me so that I am without hope, I still will come to a place of a final revelation of who he is. And in that moment of revelation, I will still have an adoration and appreciation and appreciation for the love that God has for me. 
And we're told this by the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Because when the rich man dies ignoring God, he sends a man, a message to Abraham. And he says, he never says, I've been unjustly sentenced. He knows. He knows he's in his rebellion. He knows the choice he's made. But what he sees is he sees the hope that God offered to him. And the Bible says that the rich man in torment, in hell, lifted up his voice to Abraham and said, Go back to my family and my friend. Send Lazarus the beggar back from the dead and let him tell them of the love and the mercy of God. Let them tell them of how great the glory of God is. Folks, I don't know if you can comprehend this, but a condemned man for eternity in hell still cries out and gives glory to the love and the grace of God. That's how great and how powerful the love of God is. How can I go through life ignoring how much God loves me? Oh, how he loves you and me. And there's a response that comes from my soul. And it's simple. And it's a refrain that's been sung through the ages. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. So here is the first commandment. Here's the first thing. That I love Jesus. God. And so our first duty is summed up in this, that I love God with all my heart. When I get a revelation of who God is and I see how awesome he is and how glorious he is and the love, then I have no greater thing but to love God. Love God. He is. Folks, we just spent all these weeks talking about the glory of God. If you don't see that, if you don't understand that, you better take the word and go to prayer and say, God, give me an understanding of who you are. And when you see that, there's a natural drawing of your spirit that says, God, I've got to love you with everything in my heart. In fact, this is what Solomon would say in not so many words. He would say it this in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Go to the next slide. And he says this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here it is, the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The only duty that I have given of God is that I respond to his love in kind. Fear God. What's that mean? That means honor God, reverence God, acknowledge God as being the one and the only God, the person, the motivator who loves us first. Nobody else loved me first. Not my career, not the world, not friends, not family, but God. So don't fear your friends, don't fear the world, don't fear anything else in this world or in this life, but fear God, revere Him, honor Him, acknowledge Him, for by Him all things are and all things exist. So He's the one that first loved us, so fear God. And then what? Keep His commandments. Well, what are his commandments? If he's the God that loved me, keeping his commandments is just doing what the love of God dictates is the best or instructs is the best for my life. <laughs> his commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not grievous. 
Can I say that again? His commandments are not grievous. He never gives us commandments because he wants to exercise authority over us. He didn't have to do that. He's sovereign. He has nothing to prove. But he gives us commandments. He says, okay, I love you. I love you so much that I died for you while you were yet sinners. And by the way, here's some things that you ought to do. This is the best life. This is the best possible outcome. Here's the things that you ought to do. If you follow these, you're going to find fulfillment in everything. Those are his commandments. Folks, when we reject God's commandments, we are by extension rejecting the love of God in our life. We're saying, no, God, I don't want to do that in my life. So fear God and keep his commandments. What? This is the whole duty of man. So this is why the Shema was the number one thing in, in Judaism. It, it still is. In Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That right there, that summary is the revelation of God that we've been talking about. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. So there it is. Let's go to number two now. Okay, so that's the first duty. The second response is this. Love your wife. And I reference this a little bit. Here's, here's the next thing. Love your wife. So then, after I love God, love starts in the family. Let me say that again. Love starts with your family. The family was the first institution that God established among humanity. It was the first institution that he established. Husband, wife, son, daughter. That was the very first thing that God established was marriage. Before he ever talked about the church, before he ever gave the law, he gave us marriage. Marriage. One man, one woman, a father, a mother, a husband, a wife. Amen. They are uh, uh, neither one is superior, neither one is inferior, but they are distinct, they are different, amen. They go together, they are a completion to the whole, amen. But this was what God instituted, and in that family unit was to be the love of God. Now the man was given the main, he was given the ultimate responsibility, the buck stops here. So when sin entered into the home, when sin entered into the family, if you will, God didn't go, amen, to Eve. He went to Adam. And he said, Adam, this was your responsibility. This was your duty. This was your doing. And so he set the husband as the, the head, if we, we, we would say it this way, the head of the house. People have misinterpreted that and said, well, he's the number one authority figure. And they misunderstood that. He is the one who bears the responsibility. He is the one who is first accountable in the family. It all starts with the man. Now, this is not, this is not politically correct language in today's uh, uh, terminology. And you heard more news about it today. But the ultimate disgrace to the distinctions that God has established in creation, whether male or female or whatever race or, or we would say or whatever culture that we would be of, amen, is when we say that they don't matter and, and we're all equal and there's no difference in any of it. Can I tell you, that is just 
That is just an offense to God. He made us in his image. So in that light, we are all, amen, level at the foot of the cross. We all stand before God. But he made us distinctive. Amen? And he made us, amen, with our purposes. Amen. I'm not going to say, well, well, well because... Uh, and I don't want to get off on this tangent. Do I, do, I need to explain, do I need to expound this? Do I need to explain this? God made them male and female. And it was perfect in his way. Culture that we are living in today, every, at every level, largely in entertainment, largely in education, is attacking this fundamental every day, every day, every day. And folks, it's manifest even in the church among our children. And you as parents... You as fathers are going to be first held accountable. I will not be held accountable over what goes on in your home and in your family and what your children learn. But you will be held accountable. And God will first come to the men because God established there has to be somebody who's got to give an account for this. And so he said first is going to be with the man. And so, love. So, so will you say, well, that doesn't sound like that, that's old-fashioned teaching. You're right, that's old-fashioned teaching. It's as old as the Bible is. And let's look at this. It starts in the family. Starts in the family. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 22, 20, 25, sorry. He says this. Husbands, love your wives. Now, let's go back to this understanding. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling, love is a willingness, and love is an action. Now, a large part of the segment of the history of man operated on arranged marriages. Still, cultures and countries today still operate on arranged marriages. When they come to America, or to the West, that is, and they see how we do marriage, they laugh at it and they scoff at it because then they say, well, look at the divorce rate, and look at all that stuff, and love's just an emotion, it's all that thing. And they can't wrap their mind around Amen, the concept of marriage that we have. Now, I'm not saying that we have to practice that or institute that, but what I'm saying is that what God established transcends our emotions and it transcends our feelings. And this is what he's talking about. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ, now this is dangerous, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ loved the church so much that he died. What do you mean? He fully expended himself for the betterment of his future bride. Husbands, that is the word of God that God gives to you, your God-given authority. Love your wives, not almost like Christ loved the church, but even as Christ loved the church. Love starts in the family. Now, he never told the wives to love the husbands. Here's why. Somebody said, well, women are already given a proclivity to love. Well, may, that may be true, and they may be more uh, uh, emotional in that sense. But you take a marriage where the husband loves the wife. I'm not talking about lust or infatuation or just merely adores or whatever, but loves the wife. Not an emotion, not a feeling, but a willingness to provide anything, everything that she needs, not once maybe, but needs in her life, a true willingness, and then an acting on that, a desperation. You take a woman, folks, that sees that, that is romance 101. 
It goes past, somebody ought to help me out. Some of you ladies ought to help me out here. It goes past the candlelight and the fancy dinner and the hollow words. It is a day-to-day action and living. And if a man will continue in that every day, it is only nature, natural, that the love of the wife will follow in kind. She will respond. There's a great scene that's played out in, in a, 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 a carnal play, uh, a book, play, Broadway, made a movie, Fiddler on the Roof. And she asked the, or he asked the question to his wife. And here they are, ranged marriage. There they are, lived all these years together, hard life. And of course, they're leaving Russia. I think it is. And, and he says, do you love me? And she said, what? You've never asked me this. Do you love me? She said, you never asked me this. Why are you asking me this now? Do you love me? I want to know, do you love me? And she says, well, let's think about it. I've cleaned for you. (laughs) I've done your laundry. I've done all this stuff all these years. And you've done all these things for me. And yes, I love you. Now, that, that was a shallow attempt at this, but, but it, was, it was somebody who was realizing that love was more than emotion. Love was more. It had to go deeper than that. It had to transcend beyond that. But love is a willingness. It is an action, a determination. And can I tell you, marriage is not based upon emotion, and it's ought, it should not. Let me say that. Let me back up. Marriage should not be based upon emotion, and it should not be based upon a feeling. It should be based upon a willingness, and it should be based upon an action. And that's why when two individuals come together, they stand before God and man, and they ask a minister of the gospel, a representative of the one true living God of Israel, to stand before them and take a public account that these two have entered into a covenant agreement till death do us part we will love one another marriage is a covenant it's not a feeling amen because there will be days where men will get old and women will get old too And all of the flatteries that attracted you to one another will dissipate. And all you will be left with, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, amen. All you will be left with is your covenant determination that says, I am willing to live with you for the rest of my life. Is this all right teaching on a Wednesday night? Is this okay? I hasten on. I'm not going to get through. Amen. Tonight, Hosea 3 and 1. God told him, go out and you're going to marry a woman by the name of Gomer. She is a prostitute. She is a harlot. And you are going to love her. Marry her. God told Hosea, marry her. And so he married her. And then what happened? She had an affair and she left him and she walked away. Well, ah, okay. The law provided for divorce when, she had, when he had an affair, when she walked away. And God said, no, Hosea, because you are a representative of me. And I want you to exact the love of God that's beyond knowledge. And so he says here in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. She's loved by a friend. She's living in the house of another man. But you go and love her according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who took to other gods and loved flagons of wine. This is what God told Hosea. You go and you love her. 
Well, God, I don't feel like loving her. She's committing adultery. Love is not an emotion. He said you go and you love her. We assume, we don't know, but we hope and pray that the story ended happily ever after. But can I tell you, love was never meant to be just about a feeling and, and that covenant was broken when one another wronged each other. No, love was something that would go beyond that. And God always intended, amen, for love to be one that would forgive and one that would redeem. Now understand, in the world, don't, get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God did say that there is, there is cause for divorce. There are times, there are things, and we understand all of that stuff. But God's intent was that we would love with our spirit. And can I tell you, it starts in the home. Folks, men, let me speak to the men. If you will love <laughs> that willing and you will work that hard at love, you won't have to worry about it. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes people don't go on their own and they do their own thing. That was illustrated and manifest in the book of Hosea. But men, the ultimate responsibility starts with you. That love starts in the home. Amen. It's the biblical duty of the man to love the woman, not the woman to love the man. Notice, nowhere in Scripture did God command women or wives love your husbands. Not once. You're hard-pressed to find that. You say, well, that's not fair. That's because God had a plan and he had a purpose. Husbands, you're the chief accountable one. Husbands, be the leader of love in your home. Lead your children in love. Lead your, lead your families in love. Is this all right tonight? I know it's getting quiet. Maybe I'm going too long here. But lead your family. Your children should not come between you and your spouse. You are an example to your children. And say, no, we are a marriage. We are a covenant. I am loving her. Now, there's times you may have disagreements and things like that. But your children never come between you. You are a unit. We love one another. Folks, this will change your life. Amen. Let's go on. Amen. Uh, third, third, number three. So the love of God. What time are we at? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Number three, love your neighbors. The love of God. Extended love starts. It's responding to God. It starts in our family. It starts and extended to our community, to those who are in need. You say, well, who's a neighbor? Well, and I'm going to skip this verse. The Jews said, well, only those that are my kind. They took the Levitical law and they misinterpreted it and they said, only people that are like me. So only people that look like me, talk like me, sound like me, grow up with me. Those are the people that I love. I don't love the strangers. So they hated the Samaritans. Jesus comes along and they said, who is our neighbor? You know the story. You know the understanding. And he tells the story of the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan who goes and loves the man that was messed up. He takes the most repulsive cultural icon of a Jewish man in that day. And he says, that man, when he loved the man that was robbed and beaten and stoned, he said, that man fulfills the law. That man is showing the love of God to his neighbor. The neighbor is anyone that you come across that is in need. Love. Have love. You, you may not be able to help everybody. You, I, I wish I had endless amount of money and I could help everybody that needed money. I can't do all that stuff. My pockets don't go that deep. I, but what I can do is I can love. And the Bible says this, owe no man anything. Too many people have taken that to say, oh, see, you can't be in debt because that's talking about owe no man anything. Can I tell you that scripture is totally taken out of context when it's talking about debt. 
that scripture is not talking about debt. What that scripture is talking about is our duty and our responsibility as born-again children of God to love and have compassion on another. When you do not love another, you are now in spiritual debt to that person. Think about it. You're now in spiritual debt to that person. No man can hold hatred in his heart and call himself a child of God. Now, folks, I'm stepping all over your toes because I'm stepping all over my toes. We sometimes go in and out. Is that all right? No man can hold hatred in his heart and call himself a born-again child of God. And when that creeps in, whether it's family, foe, or stranger, we better get back on the altar and say, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, wash me. This is a good teaching on Wednesday night here. I, I, can, I can stay on that, but you can read that on your own. And finally, we'll finish with this. Love your enemies. These were the shocking words of Jesus Christ that turned the understanding of the Jews upside down. He took everything that they, that they had and he flipped it upside down. Love your enemies. How can I? So love starts in our family. It's extended to our community, our neighbors. But now it's extended to the lost, the unredeemed, the tormented, the wicked. No man does this on his own. I, you, don't, you don't love people who are dishonorable. But Christ did because we were dishonorable. And when the love of God, when the fullness of God is in us, then the love of God is in us. That doesn't mean we have the love of God or we've received the love of God. It means the love of God is in us. And so when he told us, love your enemies, in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it. You'll have to go to this on the program. You've heard that it hath been said, Matthew 5, 43, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. He said, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect." even as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's not one of us in here that hasn't dealt with this, that can't identify with this at the very fundamental place of saying, God, how do I love my enemies? How do I love those who are against me? How do I love? I don't do it in my flesh, I'll tell you that. You don't do it in your flesh. You do it when the Spirit of God is inside of your heart. And I need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. I need to be baptized with the Spirit of the Lord inside of my life. So that I can love those. The apostles gave their lives. Stand together with me. The apostles gave their lives as martyrs. They gave their lives as martyrs. Amen. For the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, they loved God and they would not renounce their faith and they would not renounce God. But they loved the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they preached the good news. Even though men tried to hate them, they still preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And folks, can I tell you, the only way that we can get to that place is when we have the love of God inside of us. When we've received the love of God 
inside of our soul and inside of our spirit. And what we see in the world today is we see a whole lot of hatred and a whole lot of bigotry that's going on. And what we need is we need the love of God. In our world, where's that going to start? This is going to start right here with me loving God. Then it's going to start on my family. Because if I don't love my family the way Christ tells me to love my family, it doesn't matter how much I preach to people. Is that all right? It doesn't matter how many people I pray through the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter how many people I baptize, how many devils I cast out. If I'm not loving my family, and then I've got to love my community, and then I come down to the place to where you love your enemies, that only happens when you have a transformed supernatural power of the Holy Ghost living inside of your heart. I need the Holy Ghost in my life. You need the Holy Ghost in your life. Amen. I I want to challenge you with this. There's a book I I gave to Allison Marler came to me a little while ago and said, I need some good books to read. And I don't know if they were for a school project or what. So I gave her some things. But the first book I gave her was this very brief, short book. It's an old book. And it's been reproduced many times over. In this volume, there's only about 60 pages. It's called The Greatest Thing in the World, written by Henry Drummond. And it is a simple exposition, a very simple exposition, layman's terms, of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 where he goes through and says, if I have not loved, I am nothing. And can I tell you, everything that we do, everything that we are, if we don't love, we are nothing. It doesn't matter how big our building gets. It doesn't matter how many people we fill in here. Oh, we can get a crowd in here. If we don't have love one for another, if we don't have love for the lost, everywhere Christ went, he was moved with compassion You can talk about it so many times. The motivating thing for the miraculous in Christ's ministry was he was moved with compassion. You want to start seeing miracles in your home? You want to start seeing miracles in the church? It starts with the love of God. And I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. I need a revival of the love of God in my heart. I need a revival of the love of God in my spirit. Would you lift your hands toward heaven right now? Can we just intercede on behalf of our soul? Lord, I pray right now.